Reverend Wendy's series on Reclaiming Jesus continues this week. Reverend Wendy talks about the possibility of being a follower of Jesus and not necessarily a Christian. She also discusses the difference between living a life based on the teachings of Jesus and a life worshiping Jesus. So I am excited about this series that that we're kind of continuing from Easter. I, I began it a little bit, tried to step into it on, on Easter Sunday morning, and you seem to be right there with me. This whole idea of, of let's take a fresh look at Jesus in new thought. Let's be about reclaiming him. Because in some ways, I think that we in new thought have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That we so dislike the Jesus of fundamental Christianity and so dislike fundamentalism itself that we just don't want to in any way seem to present ourselves like that. So not knowing how to talk about Jesus and not understanding really who and what he was, we almost say, well, we just occasionally, you know, Easter will talk about him. Christmas will talk about them, and maybe we'll do a series here or there on the parables, but, but we won't go right into them. I want to challenge us, though, to bring him close in our own way. And over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing with you why and how we would want to bring him close and what that means to us as spiritual beings that that follow a much more mythical and mystical path than a dogmatic or creedal path. Here are some books on that subject, just in case you want to either go further or you think that this is a very unique idea. It is not. Here's a book from Clayton Sullivan, Rescuing Jesus from the Christians. <laughs> Rescuing Jesus from Christianity by Mike Russ. Jesus was a liberal by Scotty McClellan. One, I forgot to put the author's name. When did Jesus become a Republican? <laughs> Several from Bishop John Shelby Spong, who I'm convinced, I love that man, and he spoke here a number of times years ago. I'm convinced that Bishop John, if Bishop John Shelby Spong had found unity early on in his development. He would have been one of us. However, and he is one of us in my humble opinion, but um, he's changing or had the opportunity to change very mainline Christianity from the inside out. It was quite a radical. Books of his, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. Jesus for the Rest of Us. Resurrection, Myth or Reality. These were some of the more than 10 books he's written on similar topics. One by Robin Myers, Saving Jesus. I love that title, probably best of all, Saving Jesus. And one that I just became familiar with this past week by Adyashanti, and I know a number of you in our community have followed Adyashanti. Adyashanti is a, an American-born spiritual teacher. Um, he spent his his formative years studying the path of Zen Buddhism. And he's got a truly amazing book, an amazing work called Resurrecting Jesus, Embodying the Spirit of a Revolutionary Mystic. Embodying the Spirit of a Revolutionary Mystic. 
These people, these authors, are highly knowledgeable authors. They include um, philosophy professors and ministers with 20, 30 years experience. They have endorsements and recommendations from people like Bill Moyers, from people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu. These are individuals who care deeply about what Jesus really stood for and why it's important for us to resurrect him to save him, to reclaim him. When we had the Engaged Spirituality Symposium here at the Unity Center this past uh, fall, one of my favorite presenters was um, a, a Pentecostal minister. Her name is Bishop Yvette Flunder. And in her message, I don't, you've got to call it a sermon. I mean, this was a, if you've ever been preached at, she preached at us, right? Those of you who are here. And was it not a phenomenal being preached at? She had, yes, she had this community amening and clapping and just so pulled in. Pentecostal minister. In it, she was challenging us to look for the real Jesus. And one of the things that she said to, to us was that she personally was, was, a follower of Jesus, before he was dumbed down. Before he was dumbed down. And you know what? That's true of us in this room. You know, we live in a culturally Christian country. We are pluralistic. We are completely open, at least I hope we still stand for that. And our roots, though, whether we claim Christianity as our own path or not, I'm not talking about that. The founding of our country has its roots culturally in Christianity. So even if we like it or we don't like it, we have been influenced by it. So let's find a Jesus that really speaks to us. One of the things that I valued so much as I was going through some of Adyashanti's work is a point he makes about, you know, it almost doesn't matter whether you believe everything about Jesus that is presented in the Bible, or whether you don't believe any of it literally, the value, there, or there is tremendous value, regardless of where you are in that spectrum, there is tremendous personal and spiritual value to be had if you are willing to begin to look at what he refers to as a Jesus story through the mythical lens. The word myth has a bit of a bad rap. We tend to think of myth as a lie, but that's not really what myth is. Myth is a carrier, a container for a message and a story that's too difficult to put into linear black and white language. And so some of the most important kinds of stories, some of the most important deep questions that humanity has always asked of itself, whether it's why are we here? Why is there suffering? Where did we come from? Where are we going after we leave this body? Those are, would you not agree? Those are pretty deep kinds of questions. Most of the best attempt to answer those kinds of questions are contained in story. They're contained in myth. 
And when we begin to see ourselves in the myth, when we begin to understand how to look at the myth, then the richness of the story becomes our, ours to have and to live by. One of the statements that Robin Myers makes in his book, Saving Jesus, he asks the question, is Jesus the answer? You know, you see all those bumper stickers, right? You know, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer. And here's a man who spent 20, 30 years as a minister in a very mainline church, posing this question, writing about this question. Jesus, the answer? What do you think his answer is? No. He says, no, Jesus is not the answer. Now, it's not so hard for me as a unity minister to say that up here. I don't know if I'd have had the chutzpah if I was still in my Lutheran church that I was confirmed in to say that. But he said, no, Jesus is the assignment. Take that in for a moment. Jesus is the assignment. Do you remember getting assignments in school? Very different than getting an answer, right? You know, when you ask a question and you get an answer, how does that kind of feel inside you? I think there's a certain feeling of completeness, even if you don't like the answer. You know, if I ask you a question and you give me an answer, there's a certain completeness, a certain doneness, if you will, with it. Okay, got my answer, now I move on, right? Assignment, not so much so. Jesus is the assignment, puts a huge amount of responsibility where? Here, on us, on us. It requires doing. It requires being. It requires becoming. It is not in the least bit passive. It is entirely active. One of the very important themes in practically all of these kinds of books I've mentioned is that it is not about worshiping a man. It's about following a teacher. Very different things. We talked some about this last Sunday. It's not about worship. Worship can feel good. If you go into certain kinds of fundamentalist churches, you will often experience a whole praise and worship team, music-wise, that will sing certain kinds of songs and invite the congregation to sing certain kinds of songs to evoke a certain emotional experience. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that is Worship, that is in many ways a much more passive, easy activity than it is to say, okay, how am I going to live when I walk outside the doors of the sanctuary into the difficulty of my life personally and the challenge of the world? What am I going to follow? What am I going to rise up to? How am I going to change from the inside out? Who is my teacher? And what did my teacher teach? We live, as I've said, in a country that is culturally Christian. Jesus did not live in a country that was Christian. Jesus was not Christian. 
Do you know how many Christians don't know that? Jesus was Jewish. I think he tried to be a really good one. But being a really good one doesn't always mean agreeing with everything the way it's always been done. Because you see, in part, he recognized looking at his own Judaism that it had gotten stuck. It had become too dogmatic, too creedal. He saw the flaws in it. We need prophets, spiritual prophets, to see the flaws. You see, every spiritual, every religion starts out of an experience that a human being has had with the divine. Every religion starts with an experience that a human being has had with the divine. We would call it in our language a spiritual awakening, the experience of enlightenment. And then it is that human being's attempt to put into words, which are so limiting, what that experience was in the attempt to teach and to share and hopefully to inspire a similar experience of awakening in the persons that they are teaching. But then, over time, what begins to happen without fail is there's a codifying of the words and the words and just the actions become the thing that you start to look at and you, you set up beliefs and structures around that and you forget what that teacher, that human being that had had that divine experience was trying to convey in the first place and was trying to say to you and to me, I want you to have the same experience of the divine. Worship tends to forget that. Much of what passes for Christianity is not at all Christianity. It's churchianity. And those are two very, very different things. If Jesus were here in the flesh, I think he'd have a lot to say. <laughs> and I think that many sitting in church would be very uncomfortable by the kinds of things that he would have to say. I love Robin Meyer's statement, Jesus is not the answer, Jesus is the assignment. Last Sunday on Easter, I said to you, can I challenge you to take one of his teachings and make it your own to really deeply live by? I hope you're doing that. I hope you're doing that. He never said that his teachings were easy, but he always said, what I do, you can do as well. And if we were to actually take that seriously, there's no doubt in my mind that within the practice of his teaching is everything we need to totally heal the world and fix every single problem we have as a human family. The same could be said to a Buddhist Sangha community that if everything that the Buddha taught deeply were absolutely practiced, 
the world would be healed of every single challenge. And we could go on down the line with all of the great spiritual traditions and teachers. Why? Because at the very heart of those teachings are some very fundamental things. One of the fundamental things we've already touched upon, and that is that each of these human beings had an exquisite, first-hand, immediate experience of the divine within them, and tried to say to each of us, that same divine lives in you, express that, find that, begin to live from that. And while you're beginning to, or trying to find that, and while you're trying to live from that, here are some very basic ethical things you can practice. Because you see what happens when we actually spiritually awaken, fully awaken, not just have knowledge about what that is, but actually have fully awakened, and there are a few who have done that, then there's no such thing as needing to practice compassion. There's no such thing as needing to practice forgiveness. There's no such thing as needing to practice inclusion because you already are that. You already come from that all of the time. But in the meantime, I know for me, I'm not there. And from what I've seen in our community, as much as I love us, we're not there either. So we need kind of the ladder of the behaviors that help us to live in more loving and kind and gentle ways. I want to close with just a couple, couple more thoughts here. So much of what is called Christianity is built much more on either worship or dogma and creeds and beliefs. How many of you remember learning for your confirmation classes the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed? When was the last time you said it? Probably a, a while ago for, for, most, for most in this room. I, had, I remember learning it for my confirmation class. And let's see if I still have it, because I do not remember it by heart anymore. But one of the points that Robin Myers makes in, in the book, Saving Jesus, is that just look at how much of Churchy, he calls it Christianity, I call it churchianity, is built around belief when so much of what Jesus stood for was qualities of being. And just take the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, and so on and so forth punctuated with these statements of, we believe, we believe, we believe, as if you got to convince your people, believe these things, and if you do, then you're in the club. And you won't go to that hot place that you don't want to go to. So believe these things, convince yourself, if you have to check your mind at the door to do so, go ahead and don't ask us difficult questions because we don't have answers for you other than take it on, on faith, right? Contrast it for a minute with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Contrast it with the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, there's nothing about belief. It's about being. It's about being. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He really does give us a blueprint for growing in consciousness. He lays out a path before us. He, his essence says, don't look at me. Look at what I'm pointing to and step into that. And together, we're not going to convert the world. Together, we can heal the world. Together, we can heal ourselves. Together, we can change the world. Namaste. Thanks for listening. Sunday services at 9 and 11 a.m. Inclusivity. It's worth the drive. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.